were you represented in some way or another at the recent Labour and Conservative Party conferences in Liverpool and Birmingham, respectively? I mean, do you want to tell my listeners about this? Yes, I mean, we we attended both conferences um, because we don't try to be political about what we're, mm-hmm. you know, we don't pick a side of politics, but what we are is trying to inform the political parties of the benefits of hydrogen. So mm-hmm. we just don't attend that ourselves. We pick, we've got some partners out there like um, gas manufacturers, mm-hmm. infrastructure companies. And as a partnership, we, we explain to the politicians the advantages of hydrogen, why more investment should go into hydrogen and the benefits for our, our economy. I'm assuming it was all positively re- um, received by both parties. Oh, absolutely. I, 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 I've not particularly had a poor conversation with regards to hydrogen. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody seems to get it. Everybody seems to be in favour of it. What we now need to do is put the capital behind it to accelerate mm-hmm. its, its, um, its production. Put your money where your mouth is now, isn't it? Well, that, that, is, a, that is a very concise way of putting it, yes. Yeah. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics? They talk, we listen. Can you imagine getting into a business or a market where you actually spend $100 billion plus on a piece of paper? Are you kidding me? It was like a frying pan of the head. I got nothing against CFOs. It was not just the job of a lifetime, it was the job of a thousand lifetimes. My guest today is a seasoned CEO in the automotive and manufacturing industry. He, like many, is leading the charge to provide a holistic solution for the infrastructure distribution and use of hydrogen for heavy duty vehicles. In fact, he had a vision for hydrogen's commercial use long before it became acceptable in recent years. This is the continuation of the new series on his talk, the automotive series, where we delve into the world of CO2 neutral solutions, renewable technology, hydrogen production, fuel cell engineering, autonomous offering, as well as the consumer, political and environmentalist reaction to this change. But before we get into that, here's a brief message. This episode is sponsored by Axia. Axia is the leading private cloud platform in the Alessian and Matamos ecosystem, combining intelligent solutions with security and control. Axia's clients profit from digitalization and automation of critical business processes in a cloud and hybrid architecture. 150 staff provide migration, engineering and support services to over 200 leading organizations in 32 countries. Heads Talk podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Uta Atwal is the CEO of Rise Hydrogen, an organisation that provides a complete clean hydrogen solution for its consumers. He will tell you more about this in the course of this discussion. Prior to Rise, and as recently as last year, Buta was the CEO of Wright Bus, the Northern Ireland-based bus manufacturer and a pioneer of the low-floor bus. Wright Bus was one of the world's first hydrogen double-deck bus, leading the way in zero emissions vehicles. Buta also had various leadership positions within Toyota and JCB to include the managing director of JCB Heavy Products Limited. JCB is one of the largest privately owned engineering and manufacturing companies in the UK 
and the world's third largest manufacturer of construction machinery. I want to kickstart this conversation today. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Buta to Headstalk. Absolutely delighted to have you here today. Hello, and, and thank you for inviting me. Excellent. Uh, this is a, a year in the making conversation, isn't it? We tried to get together last year to no avail, but I'm happy to have you here today. And, and a good place for us to start, to start this conversation is with uh, your organization, your logistics supply chain, storage and distribution of hydrogen solutions company. Tell my listeners, what is the fundamental goal of Rise Hydrogen? The fundamental goal is to replace diesel-based product with hydrogen-based product and to accelerate the, the demand for hydrogen in the market by making it simpler for our customers to order and receive hydrogen so they can use it and uh, use it into their vehicles. Right, okay. And you have um, sort of specific service delivery lines what challenges do you face in each area? Please provide at least an example for distribution, storage and supply. I, th I think because hydrogen is such a nascent industry, in, in all of those areas, there's difficulties. In, in, in England and in the UK generally, we're finding that the production of hydrogen is limited. So finding hydrogen at the right price that stimulates the market and stimulates our customers to use more hydrogen is, is probably the largest um, it's in the market right now. And there's largest opportunity as well for mm -hmm. production of hydrogen oh. with, regards to, with regards to storage. It's a technology. Do you go liquid, which is denser and you can use, sorry, store more of it on site or do you go gaseous or which is probably easier to produce and um, the cheapest way of, kind of transporting um, um, hydrogen in its in its uh, manufactured um, um, form. Mm -hmm. And then the final bit is the transport side. Yeah. You know, you've got regulations, but I think the biggest issue right now is the capacity of the tanker manufacturers to supply the demand that we require. All right, All right. okay, that, that, that's very concise. Thank you for that. Were you represented in some way or another at the recent Labour and Conservative Party conferences in Liverpool and Birmingham, respectively. I mean, do you want to tell my listeners about this? Yes, I mean, we we attended both conferences um, because we don't try to be political about what we're, mm -hmm. you know, we don't pick a side of politics, but what we are is trying to inform the political parties of the benefits of hydrogen. So mm -hmm. we just don't attend that ourselves. We pick, we've got some partners out there like, um, gas manufacturers, mm -hmm. infrastructure companies, and as a partnership, we we explain to the politicians the advantages of hydrogen, why more investment should go into hydrogen, and the benefits for our our economy. I'm assuming it was all positively re um, received by both parties. Oh, absolutely. I, I I I've not particularly had a poor conversation with regards to hydrogen mm -hmm. you know everybody seems to get it everybody seems to be in favor of it what we now need to do is put the capital behind it to accelerate mm -hmm. its um its production put your money where your mouth is now isn't it well that that is a that is a very concise way of putting it yes <laughs> thank you okay um, let's let's look at the story of um hydrogen itself what type of hydrogen are you supplying? I know the various colours, the blues, the greens and the greys even. What are you supplying? 
I mean, right now it's blue, but we're looking actively to produce our own green hydrogen. But, mm -hmm. you know, I'm a bit of a, how can, there's purists out there and there's realists, and I'm probably on the realist side of this. Just to, my view is right now we need to get hydrogen going. So we need to maximize as much use of the hydrogen out there mm -hmm. and then have a very clear structured plan to get to green as soon as possible. But we have to be pragmatic. Otherwise the hydrogen industry will never stop. Yeah, yeah. And, and for my listeners, can you just differentiate the green and the blue? What's the difference? I mean, blue is, you know, has some processing. I mean, so for example, it can be processed out of oil and gas, but it has mm. a, you know, it, it, the one that we have is burnt off to the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you know, it's probably a waste product right now and probably harms the, the, the climate by actually harnessing that mm -hmm. um, hydrogen. We actually stop it being burnt off and reuse, repurpose it for a, 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 a very useful um, industry. Mm -hmm. But the green is actually produced from green electricity or, or green power and, and has no um, kind of byproduct to the atmosphere at all. All right, okay, okay. Um, and are you experimenting with clear hydrogen? Do you know about that? That's another one. I mean, how does that differ to what you, to the green um, hydrogen, for example? I mean, I'll be honest with you, we're not. And the reason is because, you know, the hydrogen industry is going to develop further and further. And if you wait to the perfect solution, nothing will ever happen. And I think mm. that the, the hydrogen industry has suffered in the past. I mean, about 10, 15 years ago, I heard hydrogen was be, going to be the next big thing and it's still going to be the next big thing. So <laughs> I, I do believe that the industry needs to, you know, invest around green right now. Mm -hmm. and accelerate that and then you know as as different systems improve and and as a different ideas evolve shall i say mm -hmm. we, we continue the investment and that's why government is so important because you know, technology whether it's hydrogen or even battery electric will accelerate very quickly mm -hmm. and so entrepreneurs like my boss you know have to take larger risks than you probably would in say an oil and gas production mm. and therefore you know sticking to a singular color in, in this case for us green and supporting that with some government support will accelerate the production of hydrogen and therefore you know the hydrogen economy okay okay uh, you, you said that hydrogen has suffered in in the past I, i'd like to know what are some of the untruths about hydrogen that you'd like to clear up for my listeners today I mean, the, the, the question that I get the most, you know, and it's from probably the people who are, you know, are not the most informed, shall I say, they go, oh, it's not very safe, is it? You know, is that kind of a response? <laughs> yeah. and, you, and I give this example to everyone. I go, you know, do you have a petrol car? You know, yeah, yeah, I've got a petrol car. I said, what happens when you spill petrol on the floor? And they go, don't know. Well, I said the, the petrol spills, but the gas above it kind of, is a very dense gas and follows the ground. So if by any chance it sparks, it will follow you. Mm. I said, what hydrogen does is it goes upwards you know, at a rapid pace. And actually, if, there's a, if it ignites, it ignites well above your head and actually into the atmosphere. So it is a lot safer you know, than actually our current forms of fueling cars. Mm. So you know, it's that type of understanding that 
you know, whatever we do has an element of risk, but actually the controlled risk around hydrogen is probably a lot mm. easier to control than actually, you know, the, the petrol that we use in our cars right now. So, so it sounds to me a bit like um, educating people. Um, Absolutely. Would, would you say your customers are getting more and more on board with hydrogen um, as a solution? For a period when you were the CEO, CEO of um, Right Bus, you used battery technology for the buses, right? Um, there must have been a, a sort of a mindset change during this process to shift to the hydrogen solution. Absolutely. I mean, we've always had both technologies one of the things that you know i've always pushed is the customer chooses its technology i don't tell him or her to yeah. what to pick but our job is to inform the customer of the benefits of both and then let them choose and historically battery technology you know has been the more more accepted technology mm -hmm. you know the phone I'm using right now has batteries in it. You know, everything almost at home has a battery in it. So people understand that more than the hydrogen technology. Mm -hmm. But I think the realism's hitting that the bigger and more demanding the task, then hydrogen suits it more than, you know, a smaller activity. So yeah, a small car, probably a battery can suit mm -hmm. but a refrigerated truck that's taking goods 200 miles a day you know that demand on a battery is very very hard but that on a hydrogen um, system is actually ideal mm. so people are moving more to hydrogen because they see the practicality yeah. issues of battery yeah. and the 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 benefits of hydrogen to overcome those issues. Mm. So, so tell me, um, within your organization, are, are you creating other gases or liquids that, that can be used on an industrial level, for example, ammonia? I mean, we are talking to other organizations, you know, companies like FFI, who are looking to produce ammonia and transport it across the world and then crack it for hydrogen, for example. Mm -hmm. um, there's also you know, we've seen some experiments around engine production that can use ammonia to produce, um, uh, uh, sorry, use it as its fuel. But I'm, I'm a little bit more, more, how can I put it? I see the benefits of hydrogen more than I do ammonia because although ammonia is easier to transport, there are a lot more inherent risks with ammonia than there are with hydrogen. You know, ammonia is very, very toxic. And if it mm. releases into the atmosphere, it is very, very dangerous. Mm. Whereas hydrogen, as I said, the safety um, risks are mitigated by its lightness and its ability to dissipate very, very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And, you know, you talked about scaling hydrogen and you talked about government collaboration, in fact, government input is required how many years would you say it would take to scale up access to hydrogen to the level of other options you know ethanol biodiesel etc and what does that entail well i mean i use the uk and england um, as an example you know we've got probably the ideal country to go hydrogen one is you know, we've got um, natural wind and wave technology around our aisles mm -hmm. that can produce the green technology. And our motorway systems, our highways, you know, for um, um, other listeners, you know, we've probably got five 
main highways in the, in the country. Mm. And what you need is every 20, 30 miles, somewhere trucks or cars can refuel. So it, it's, that, it's that investment is required and mainly by government yeah. to sponsor that infrastructure change that allows then vehicles to, to use those um, arteries around the country. Mm. If you look at the vehicles out there, Toyota already do um, hydrogen vehicles, mm -hmm. Hyundai do um, um, hydrogen vehicles, we do hydrogen vehicles. So, you know, th the manufacturers are quite quick to respond to the opportunity. Mm -hmm. I think the government and the infrastructure is is where the the the, the bottleneck is. And if if and when that changes, you know, that will be a real boost to any economy because it will it will generate its own uh, manufacturing businesses around that new technology. Um, I, I normally do a bit of research um, on the individual as well as the company that they represent. Mm -hmm. And I read something that RISE is working on renewable diesel technology, what you call superior renewable diesel technology. Do you want to tell me about this? What's happening here? Well, it's it's probably not Rise itself, but JCB, who own, who's you know the family that own, yeah. um, so the family that own JCB, the son of uh, uh, Joe Bamford owns Rise, mm -hmm. and his father is doing a lot of um, experiments around hydrogen engines, but you know, previous to that, you know, developed a clean um, burn um, diesel engine, and. I think that the reality is that, you know, I think there's a misnomer out there that thinks every diesel engine is a poor diesel engine. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is the older series of engines, um, the um, Euro twos, threes, fours, are relatively dirty engines. But when it gets to Euro six engines, you know, the amount of, um, filtration, etc., given to those uh, emissions, you know, they're relatively safe now. But our view is the best way forward is you you concentrate on the hydrogen, you concentrate on hydrogen technology, mm -hmm. and develop hydrogen engines as well as hydrogen using hydrogen fuel cells. Mm. I think the perception of diesel is probably. Quite negative and it looks like diesel needs um, a sort of a PR manager, just like hydrogen probably needs a, a PR manager. Um, it, it has a bit of a bad place. We've talked about that and a bad reputation. We've talked about that. I'm wondering if the, the hazardous substance label, the general public is still, you know, is a still a perception. Perhaps you can reassure my listeners, what exactly are you doing in your environment um, about the current precautions that you're taking with its development, transportation and storage? The, the, the testing around vehicles, you know, like the buses that we made and the, the transportation of the hydrogen, so the tankers that take it, mm -hmm. are, are very, very rigorous, you know, and you have safety, safety systems on board. So if there is ever, you know, an issue, the ventilation or the venting of that gas is done in a very, very safe way. Mm -hmm. And you'd have to hit it at you know more than a truck or a, a, a or a bus could travel at to actually damage these um, systems because they are you know the safety factors on there are very very high mm. so you know I, I don't really see the safety issue as the biggest problem to convince 
the general public to go hydrogen. Actually, I think most people these days are fairly well educated on green technology and that their desire is only increasing. Mm -hmm. I think our main problem right now is supplying that demand and allowing the customers to actually choose hydrogen vehicles and be able to refuel at hydrogen um, refueling zones. Mm. So, so let's talk about the conversation around centralised or decentralised hydrogen production. Um, what would you say is the best solution going forward? What are the merits of either, you know, gas and electric provisions are centralised for obvious reasons. Currently, hydrogen is decentralised. So when the use of hydrogen becomes more abundant over the years, um, should a centralised model be implemented? I mean, there is always going to be a need for both. Let me be, let me give you an example. A a bus depot that has say 200 buses, if it went electric, would need probably around enough electricity generated that would power around 20,000 homes. So you know, but if it had hydrogen production on site, it is you know very manageable on a on on, on a site, no transport required, delivering hydrogen to the source and produced on site. A perfect little system that is well maintained and well contained for a, something like a bus operator. Mm -hmm. If you're talking about general transport, so you know taking goods from a warehouse to a supermarket and mm -hmm. that type of, you know, you need, you know, as I said, the road network to, to have um, deliveries of hydrogen on a regular basis. And that's probably better coming from a, a large um, supplier who has hydrogen trucks to deliver its hydrogen. And if you can do that, then that, that would be a perfect way to supply that hydrogen to those smaller areas. Sorry, those um, regular quantities you acquire for a, you know, a motorway system to be, to be supported by a refueling system. Right. So I, I think, and I've been investigating a number of hydrogen production systems out there, all very credible, all very investable. It's the difficulty right now, as I say, is it's, it's accelerating those processes. Okay, okay, so it's not an either or. Um, generally, what are the benefits that the, the layman, the ordinary man, the Joe public can appreciate, other than the obvious global sustainability benefits? What benefits does hydrogen bring? I think the best way of putting it is, is this way. If you, if you look at most operations, if a person doesn't have to change their current behaviour, then it's normally easily adopted. So if you look at, my wife's got a battery car. Uh, actually, it's a, 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 you know, it's a hybrid. Mm -hmm. And then every every night, you know, she goes to me, oh, can you plug it in for me? And I'm going, oh, I don't know, it's raining outside. You know, whereas with hydrogen, you know, it's a similar to a petrol or a diesel process where you go, you fill up a tank, you got 300 miles or three, you know, 300 miles worth of travel before you have to do that again. So that convenience of not always have to refuel your car or, or mm -hmm. plug in your car every day, you know, hydrogen gives you that benefit. And your normal day-to-day -day practices of refueling, traveling, not worrying about um, um, range anxiety, mm -hmm. you know, is completely gone. It's, it's all about, you know, a normal, um, transport that you're used to. What, what about the cost? Is it is it reduced? 
I mean, the cost of fuel cells is reduced or are reducing, but volume is what's required to reduce that further. So we don't, we have done, we did some modeling on the, in the bus company that mm -hmm. said, as soon as we reach volumes around 2000 buses a year, then we could probably be very close to parity with a diesel um, system. And so what's stopping hydrogen is, is volume. And what's stopping the volume is the production of hydrogen. So, you know, the sooner we get the, the production of hydrogen out there, uh, the vehicle and the cost of vehicles will quickly come down, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. All right. this, this one is, is an interesting question, and I'd really be interested in your, your ideas on this. It's about the future potential use of hydrogen, especially in other sectors. Um, so what new markets, industry opportunities does hydrogen offer or perhaps will offer that you can tell us about well i mean historically our gas network was piped with hydrogen and it came with your natural gas through you know to your cooker or your your heater i'll give you a really good example northern ireland where our bus company is um it's a fairly new gas system so all the pipes are 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 plastic already, mm -hmm. which is kind of the prerequisite to, to deliver hydrogen through to them. So you could reduce the, the need of gas by putting 20% hydrogen into that system, which would obviously in the current time help with the cost of the, cost of the hydrogen, but also, you know, be very, very um, beneficial to the environment. All right. Okay. All right. Um, I, think, I think when I asked this question, is it last year? And people were hypothesised. They talked about the heating of homes and stuff like that. We would change the way we do things, and you know that, those sort of things. So that was quite interesting to hear that from you. Um, now let's end this episode um, with two questions. At least one of them is asked to all of the guests in the series. The first one is: Will the electric car? We've talked about hydrogen, but let's sort of move into the electric cars of your opponent, so to speak. Will the electric car eventually bring about a different type of sustainability problem that we haven't thought about? Absolutely. I mean, everything that has a, a precious metal or a rarity to it will suddenly hit a, a wall. I mean, oil did that, you know, probably in the 70s where it hit a wall because um, production was regulated and therefore the prices went up. Is happening now with oil and gas mm. because production is being regulated the prices are going up so if um, lithium or cobalt or other minerals um, and metals are being um, regulated either by supply or the demand increasing exponentially then the prices of those would go up and 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 be a limiting factor going forward unless there is very very good recycling which in batteries it's difficult mm. you know right now it's kind of you burn a battery and take the metals out of it which isn't in itself a very good way of um, a, a good process for the environment so unless those systems improve and there is i'm sure very good work going on in those in those sectors then it, there is going to be a limiting factor and this is why i'm not anti-battery I'm, I'm pro balance I think there needs to be a balance of technologies in the system. And I think batteries would suit smaller vehicles, but I believe hydrogen will soon suit more suit the larger uh, high demand vehicles. Mm -hmm. So can elements of the battery be recycled itself? 
they can, but the processes used to recycle them right now are are not, not very people. environmentally friendly. So, you know, as you know, digging out cobalt or lithium isn't very environmentally friendly. You know, as I say, JCB produces diggers that you know probably dig the holes. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, one of the things I love about hydrogen is you can put a a a windmill on in, in the North Sea, it will blow most of the time. It will produce electricity, very, very green electricity, mm -hmm. which can produce electricity to the grid during the day and hydrogen at night where the demand is less. So it seems like a very, how can I put it, useful and you know, um, well-positioned technology to give a good balance of green, energy to the market electricity for the day and hydrogen as a storage vehicle at night and you know as i said the uk is very very well um mm. positioned to so make the saying, point of that the saying hydrogen is more favorable in terms of delivering sustainable solutions more so than the battery electric at the moment yeah absolutely i mean if you just look at it the wind produces the electricity and mm. the, the electric you know you can use that electricity to convert water to hydrogen. Mm -hmm. there, there doesn't seem to be too many, you know, bad elements in there, does there? Whereas digging for cobalt yeah. or digging yeah. for lithium, there is there seems to be a lot more damage to the environment to, to do that process. And and, the, and and also the battery itself's got a lifespan and when that is over, you have to either recycle or get rid and then blah blah blah. Absolutely. Okay. I see where you're coming from with this. And um, the, the second question is, when do you think autonomous vehicles will be in wide use across the globe for recreational purposes? If you can give us a year and why? Oh, hopefully not in my lifetime. Um, but why hopefully not? Well, for two reasons. A, I actually like driving. So, you know, I, I think this desire to have everybody, you know, equipment to do everything for you. What you then will get is regulation on, you know, how fast it can go and et cetera. And where's the fun in any of that? But more importantly, I don't think there is a trust in, in those systems to allow autonomous vehicles to go and, and be trusted on the motorway. I'll give you an example. If, if you and I have an accident tomorrow, nobody will question it. But if an autonomous vehicle had an accident tomorrow, there'll be worldwide news. And I don't think that, you know, process is going to change in people's perception until probably my daughter is 20 you know it, you know is mm -hmm. ha, has has children or grandchildren probably because they will grow up with that type of technology i don't think people who as old as me grown up with this our current technology would trust it as yeah. much so so we also need a mindset change on this one so would you say what's in 60 years time perhaps no i look it, it might happen tomorrow, but, you know, I, autonomous vehicles are being tested all the time. You know, I've, I was in China about three years ago and I sat on a bus that was being was um, automatically um, being driven and, and it was very, very impressive. But as I say, would you go on it now? Would you pay your £3.50 and, and sit on an autonomous bus? I, I probably wouldn't. You know, I'd probably take the walk. But um, as I say, as people get more and more confident with that technology, yes, it will happen, but I, I, I don't see it. I, I'm, you know, for a visionary type of 
leader you are, you're very skeptical <laughs> with something that is considered, you know, a future development in the autonomous industry, in the automotive industry. So I'm, I'm quite taken aback by your skepticism with autonomous vehicles. It's because maybe more because I, in my in my not, um, career, I've worked with robots. I've worked with um, you know automatic guided vehicles, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you know the uptime for these things is really key, but there always is a downtime. And with people, there's never a downtime. You know, a, a driver is alert from the minute he, he or she starts driving to the minute they get off. Where an automated system, if there's a glitch, there is, you know, an intervention required. And, you know, for me, that's the key. I'd, I'd love to understand the safety systems around it. And if I'm convinced around the safety systems, then fine. But it's, it's convincing me on those safety systems. Mm. I assume it will probably be developed like, you know, the, the air traffic control system, you'll have the sort of the car traffic control system and it would it'd be managed in that way. Um, and, OK, we'll, we'll see. But nevertheless, um, Buta Atwal, yeah. so good to talk to you today on Heads Talk. Many thanks for your time and insights. No, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.